How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 13 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. Now, I thought I'd start this second dozen uh, episode. You know, I'm kind of doing this in, in series of 12, it seems, um, at least for now. But kind of hit the pause button after episode 12, restarting with episode 13. So I almost thought I'd do sort of a second pilot episode, right? Now, in episode one, I explained sort of what what this show might cover in general. Um, and I mentioned the importance of gardening and that that would maybe be sort of the backbone or part of the backbone of this show. So I thought it was about time, you know, 13 episodes in, that I would take a little bit of a deeper dive into into why... I think gardening is so damn important. You know, you might not quite see what I'm getting at about why it's such a big deal. Like, who cares, right? It's just freaking gardening. It's not like that big of a deal. Um, anybody that knows me personally knows that I'm that I'm vehemently pro gardening. I'm I'm kind of a kind of a nut about it really I you know I evangelize the word of gardening now some people uh, are convinced that they're just either in a position where they don't have the space to garden or they don't have the time or so many people tell me that they have a black thumb or a brown thumb and I always say, you know, I don't really believe in that concept. I think anybody that has had bad luck with gardening probably has not had good soil. Probably did not water enough, probably watered too much. It was probably something very simple, but I, I would bet 9 out of 10 times it's got to do with just poor, depleted, maybe even contaminated soil, right? So... I guess before I go on, I'll tell you guys that, you know, I've become a gardener by trade. I've I've been making my living, at least partially, as a gardener for the last four years or so. Well, I guess longer than that, truthfully speaking. Maybe six or seven years if you tally up some of the other jobs. But when I was 25, I started Easy Peasy Garden Solutions, okay? And the idea that I had was to offer vegetable gardening services on a subscription model. You know, pretty simple concept. And I knew that I could build a really good-looking raised bed garden out of 2 by 6 cedar boards. I'd done it before. And I... I wanted to do it better than anybody else, right? I wanted to build the cleanest, sharpest looking, smoothest, you know, most well-designed raised beds I could with custom trellis work and, you know, lattices and trim and all the corners rounded with a, with a hand sander, an orbital sander, and, you know, giving it those special little details. I use what's called... A Craig jig. This allows me to drill 
what are known as pocket holes, which allow me to send a screw from one board into the other to make those right angle connections. And and you can cover the screw heads with a plug. I'm not sure if you're able to imagine this, but nowhere on my raised beds is there a single exposed screw head. It's all flush and clean, and all you see is beautiful wood, right? And then I fill it with a premium soil blend that took me some time to get figured out, but now that now that my soil is is up to snuff, these gardens are just producing for people. The only problem is they're never quite big enough. You know, we grow things pretty dense in these gardens, but people always want more. So I'm getting better and better at selling people on expansion, right? Let's put in a second one. We can put in one identical to the first, or maybe we put a couple of wings on this and we turned it into what I call a keyhole garden where you walk in through a central path and you've got a bed on your left and a bed on your right and one in the center and they're all connected in sort of a a horseshoe shape you know a keyhole and it's been a fun deal it's been a fun deal I've worked really hard I started out I would take just about any job doing any amount of landscaping work you know I would mulch and I would weed and I would do patios and I would do pergolas and over time I've been able to do less and less of the of the other stuff and focus strictly on the vegetable gardens which was always the intent right and the reason I'm so passionate about vegetable gardens even if it's a small one even if it only feeds the family say 5% of their total vegetables for the year which I bet is on the on the low side, truthfully. But even if that's the case, the psychological and spiritual benefits go well and beyond the benefits of the actual food production. For those that actually get into the gardening, who actually go out and tend it, you know, I, I provide this service where I come out once a month to help them, to answer their questions, to, to spread some fertilizer, to haul away the compostables. And, and the quality of the garden has everything to do with the amount of buy-in from the client. I, I, I can only give so much to each garden. I tell them, beginning of the season, you know, this is a team effort and I can't come out and water for you. So if you don't water, nothing's going to grow, you know. So they have to be into it. And some clients do better than others. But I can tell the ones that are into it, that tend the garden, they really enjoy it. I've had people say things like, you know, it's the, it's the most re- relaxing part of my day coming out here. And that makes me feel so good to hear. It really does. Because I know that's the point. That's you know, the food is secondary to the to the tangibility of just interacting with nature for a few minutes every day. The garden has always been that for humans. Anybody that thinks that we are strictly hunter gatherers for most of our existence is mistaken, most of us. You know, excluding just a few 
cultures like, say, the Inuit, where there's no way you can grow a garden, you know, above the Ar- Arctic Circle. Aside from those those rare exceptions, I would say that nearly every hunter-gatherer species, or I'm sorry, culture, society, I would imagine almost all of them were were also gardeners. They would carry certain plants with them from camp to camp. They would they would memorize where certain things grew and and they would encourage the the beneficial plants and discourage the ones that competed with them and you know this is what gardening is. I bet you they would protect plants from from browsing animals and perhaps they would use plants as as bait for for prey, you know. This is all gardening. You know, I've heard recently that even even some of the lower primates participate in some amount of of interaction with their plant counterparts. Now, I won't go as far as to say that they plan and execute a garden, but but simply by eating the fruit and depositing the seeds, they're they are perpetuating these, these food sources for themselves. You know, they're gardening without realizing it so often. You know, the, the, the relationship between plants and animals is exceptionally complex. And we as humans understand it more than any other creature in at least a, a intellectual way, but there's still so much more to it. And by, by, by practicing gardening, you are, you are learning about the rhythms of nature in a very intimate and concrete way. Now, don't just take my word for it, because... A lot of really, really impressive people have engaged in gardening in a very intense kind of way. And one of them is our former president, Thomas Jefferson. Now, in today's day and age, a lot of people probably don't respect this man because he did own slaves and if you look into his history, it is sordid. It's it's through modern eyes, it doesn't all look so good. He had a a slave mistress whom he had many children with, you know, things like this. So I'm not saying I'm not trying to say this man was perfect, but Thomas Jefferson was in fact a very smart man. And he said, let's see, no occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth and no culture comparable to that of the garden. So right there, I think he's, he's separating gardening from, from agriculture because he engaged in both. There's no doubt. And, uh, and when I say he engaged, you know, I understand that he had slave labor probably performing most of the, most of the work. Don't get me wrong, but he kept exceptionally detailed notes about his gardens that that are invaluable 
to us, even to this day, as a, as a very trustworthy record of the climate in the late 1700s, right? And when he says, no occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth, you know, that's a little broader. That's agriculture, that's forestry, that's perhaps even sort of hunting and fishing, but no culture comparable to that of the garden. You know, the garden is where most of the magic happens. Most of the diversity is inside of the garden and not out in the fields or even in the forest. You know, the forest is quite diverse oftentimes, but not as diverse as the human-managed garden. You can see this when you go into any botanical garden or any any impressively landscaped residence or you know even some some city zoos and parks and they're just incredibly diverse full of flowering plants and various trees and shrubs and and herbs and you know the garden is is a magical place yeah i don't know if you realize this but apparently I should probably confirm this, but I've heard that paradise, if you look into the etymology of that word, and I'm not sure if we're going back to Greek or Latin or what, but apparently the, the origin of the word paradise translates to the walled garden. So when, when we read... You know, perhaps that was the Hebrew. I'm not. I'm not sure. But when we read in in Genesis about Adam and Eve being born into the Garden of Eden, right into paradise, this makes sense. What a what a profound metaphor, because you know the garden is in some ways. It's. I'm not going to say it's unnatural, but it's not. It's not the same thing as the wilds, right? But that image of the walled garden, you know, it's a very peaceful place to be because you're safe, because your your needs are met within the walls to some degree. So it's paradise. And I I evangelize gardening because I truly believe we have we have become separate from nature which i believe is sinful you know i remember learning when i was when i was engaged in the in the christian church about how you know the definition of sin you know people kind of misunderstand they think sin is like bad actions and that's partly true but the true definition of sin is separateness from god separation from God, you know, being apart, not a part, but apart, separate, when we should be interconnected and, and, and we should engage with the divine, right? And I think the only way that we really can engage 
in a tangible way with the divine is to experience nature firsthand and to, in some ways, interact with nature. We need to be gardeners. Now, I believe we are instinctually horticulture, horticultural animals, right? We instinctually recognize patterns in plants. It's so sad that we live in a time where most children can can recognize hundreds and hundreds of corporate logos, but only perhaps half a dozen plants, you know? That's just not okay. That's not the way humans are supposed to supposed to be. You know, I love this this song by Luke Nelson, Willie's Willie's boy, you know, Willie Nelson's son, Luke. He wrote and recorded this song about turn off the news and plant a garden. You know, it's such a simple statement, but it's so true. And we get sucked into these dramas, these narratives, these mind control, you know, devices. You might think that's a bit strange of me to say, but I truly have come to believe that our media is a form of mind control. And it's best to simply turn it off, step outside and, and interact with nature. Right now, I'm going to read you one more quote. This is a very short one. This is from a fellow named Jeff Lawton. Now, Jeff Lawton is probably the single biggest name in permaculture. When I say probably, I mean definitely, and I mean people that are still alive. Okay, so Jeff Lawton studied under Bill Mullison and Bill Mollison is sort of known as the father of gardening, but Jeff Lawton was right there, you know. And Jeff is famous for having said that all of the world's problems can be solved in a garden. And I think he means that quite literally. And I think he's correct. Because we are so incredibly unhealthy and we are so incredibly deprived spiritually most of us anyhow and most of us have a very strained relationship with nature you can see this when when people are made incredibly fearful by the presence of a bumblebee or you know terrified at the notion of walking through the woods for fear of bugs and snakes and you know we've we've been convinced that the wilds are a dangerous place but i think we are coming around you know outdoor recreation is is so much a part of that i'm so grateful that i studied outdoor rec and leisure and parks and human ecology because that's the gateway drug you know, going camping, going for a hike, going fishing. You know, you get hooked on, on the beauty. And then 
you know, if that's the gateway drug, then the good stuff, you know, the real good stuff is gardening. That's what you graduate up to. You know, hiking through the through the wilderness, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. It's a great way to reconnect with our biology because traveling across landscapes on foot is something that we used to spend hours and hours of our lives doing. Open, wild landscapes. And... If you've never gone for a backpacking trip, it's amazing. You get this feeling a couple days in like like you're a part of the world around you. You are not some individual, but you are you are an organism interacting with all the other living organisms and bearing witness to them as they bear witness to you. And when you when you start a garden, you take that to another level because now you are you are the planner you are the creator and it's important not to get too too big headed about it you know but you are in some ways playing god you decide who lives and who dies and and that's probably not the right way to think of it because the truth is if you do your job right most everything lives. Now, I don't want to talk about this all day. I got some shit to get done, but I wanted to drive home why why gardening matters, right? It's not just some form of recreation. Although, to say that it is a form of recreation is by no means belittling it. Recreation is super important, but gardening is a form of health care preventative health care both for the body and the mind you know I did a quick search because I thought I might try to cite some some you know academic studies about the impacts of gardening but there's too much there's too many I don't even know where to begin you know I, I found this one little one little clip here I'll read to you it says therapeutic benefits of gardening Indeed, the positive association with gardening was observed for a wide range of health outcomes, such as reductions in depression and anxiety symptoms, stress, mood disturbance, and BMI. BMI. Body mass index, I guess that means. Yeah. So reduction of, of you know, overweightness as well as increases in quality of life, sense of community, physical activity levels, and cognitive functions. I mean, that's quite a list of positive benefits. And this is from sciencedirect.com. If you care to look it up yourself, gardening is beneficial for health, a meta-analysis. There's so many others, though. I mean, there's, you know, studies from Rutgers and the University of, or I guess North Carolina State University. And, you know, I I wanted to find one in particular that I had a vague memory of reading at one point. And I believe it came from some Ivy League school. 
maybe Princeton or Yale or Harvard. I don't know which, but it made a, it made a bold claim, very much akin to Jeff Lawton's claim, saying that perhaps gardening is our number one solution for climate change and ecological degradation. And that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. We've got an awful lot of grass, y'all. And the truth is, grass, they've done studies. And even when you consider the mowing and the all the, all the inputs that go into your typical American lawn, you know, grass is still a carbon sink. It still is producing more via, via photosynthesis than it is, you know, costing us in, in terms of inputs. So that's something to, to know. We shouldn't necessarily hate the, the American lawn. You know, I think having a lawn is quite nice. <clears throat> but we've got an awful lot of it. And if we converted, say, 20, 30% of our lawn into gardens that produce things for us and for the and for the critters around us can you imagine the impact that might have you know if everybody you know just grows that 5 5% of their produce 10% maybe that takes a massive strain off the supply chain and that reduces demand for industrial food by a significant amount and if some of us take it to the next level and we can grow in abundance, if we can grow more than we can eat and we're, we're saving some of it for winter and we're giving it away to our neighbors and our, and our communities, can you imagine the impact if there was a massive cultural shift towards no-nonsense gardening and I can almost smell it. I almost think it's already begun because, you know, I'm starting to see gardens popping up. And they've been there. I mean, there have been gardeners. But it was very fringe for a while there. I mean, you go back 40 or 50 years and it was anything but fringe. But in recent decades, it's been a very minute portion of our population that have engaged in gardening. Now I've read that during World War Two there was you know there was this movement, the Victory Garden movement, and the government encouraged folks to grow their own food because of the war effort and because of limitations on production and they 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 suggested certain ways of doing it ways of incorporating incorporating chickens into the system so that you have a source of composted chicken manure when it's all said and done. This was a multi-year strategy because they knew this war might go on. So they encouraged folks to plant victory gardens. And I read that we might have produced up to 40% of our own food during that period of time in our backyards. 40%. That is massive. You know, perhaps if we could take that demand off of our agricultural systems. Perhaps they wouldn't they wouldn't need to pump out 
quite so much corn and soy. And perhaps if we got a taste for quality ingredients, you know, the stuff that we couldn't produce at home, we might have a higher standard for, and we might try to source as locally as we can. And the more we do this, the more the demand decreases for these for these processed food products, and the more it increases for local, real, whole food. Gardening fucking matters, guys. It's a big deal. I am I am just so serious about this shit, guys, because because I've seen it doesn't take that much. Get yourself a little compost and put a couple of fucking seeds into it. Sprinkle some water and see what fucking happens. I mean, it's really that simple. You know, I take it to the to the extreme with my with my business. I build really custom shit, but part of me wants to start marketing these these simplistic gardens too, these affordable gardens, instead of spending, you know, two thousand dollars to have me build something incredible, you could spend say five hundred to get yourself rocking and rolling with a little bit of space and a little bit of compost and you know, that's not so bad. Five hundred dollar investment and you've got something that's gonna produce for years to come if you tend it. So feel like I've sort of said what I need to say, guys, but like as much as I, I always tell people we should support our local farmers, you know, they can only produce so much. And I, I, I'm getting the impression that demand for organic local food is kind of surpassing supply. So these farmers are busting their asses getting as much food out as possible for us. But if we can take care of some of it ourselves, it'll give them a chance to catch up. You know, I almost see like this three-legged stool of sustainable food and you know, one leg of it is sort of local farms and farmers markets and CSAs, right? And the other leg is farm-to-table restaurants. And the third and final leg is home gardening. Perhaps I'm crazy, but if we can have those three legs balanced, I bet you we could sit on that fucking stool for a really fucking long time, you know? So... I'm not saying you got to go out there today and fucking work your ass off and get a garden built, but maybe think about doing it at some point, right? Start reading a little bit. Frankly, guys, I'll give you the secret. There's this book. It's real easy. It's called Square Foot Gardening by this fella named Mel Bartholomew. And I hate to admit it, but I ripped that book off, man. I pretty much used his soil blend. I pretty much, you know, I started by doing it exactly as he said. And I think I've kind of improved on what he's done in terms of aesthetics and in terms of creativity. He's very nuts and bolts how to get food going. 
minimal cost, maximum production, which is a great way to start, you know. I've said before with, with permaculture, with gardening, if you start in terms of, you know, if you think in terms of your, your limitations, right, the design has to fit the certain parameters. You're following certain rules. You're, you're going to grow what you want to grow and what you're going to eat. Don't grow a bunch of shit you're never going to eat. So you're, you're constrained. There's limitations. And if you simply adhere to those limitations, if you design for function, it will inevitably become beautiful. That's a side effect. You don't have to think about the beauty. It just comes out. That's what gardening is, man. Now, I'm going to sign off here, y'all. I'm sure we'll come back to this topic many, many times, so I'm I'm not feeling too pressured to uh like cover cover it all, like make all the arguments. There's there's too many, but I think you get the the gist here. You know, let's call this the summary the summary argument and you know, we can we can break it down deeper later on, but I just really hope y'all can see the logic here. You know, many of us are concerned about the planet and the environment. And and you you want a solution, you want to know the answer. Well, here it is. You know, it's not carbon credits, it's not it's not it's not taxation, it's it's not restricting, you know, and rationing, you know, meat. It's it's gardening and it's supporting the local farmer. And it's going to those those quality farm to fork restaurants. You know, if we can if we can make it profitable, if we can support these these businesses that do it right. And if we can do part of it ourselves in our own spaces, even if it's just a pot on the windowsill, you know, all that adds up, guys. And the ripples will spread. We need to we need to invite more more greenery into our environments. You know, eventually I want to see all the roadsides and medians planted with with fruit and nut trees. That's a bit lofty. That'll take a bit of cooperation, but if we can start in our own damn yards, right? And I guess before I wrap it up, I'll just say that it's true that very many people have to break the rules in order to garden. Many HOAs, many city ordinances, many county ordinances. These these things make it difficult in certain places to get away with having a vegetable garden, which makes you question who wrote those rules and why. But if there has ever been a rule that is justifiable to break, it is those kind of rules. Any rule that says that you cannot tend a plant on your own property in any way you see fit for any purpose you see fit 
I just think that's wrong. I think it's inhuman. I think the desire to maintain property values is is directly impacting our physical and mental well-being. Because a world full of gardeners would not be an ugly place. You know, fruit trees people think are messy. Well, you know, what does that word even mean? I've said it so many times, but dirt ain't that dirty, you know? We cannot live in this Disneyland environment, this this artificial landscape. As much as I, I think golf courses are so beautiful, it's like all of our housing developments look like freaking golf courses, and there's no, there's hardly any wildlife as a result. In ecology, we talk about indicator species. An indicator species is one which gives you some indication of the health and, and quality of the ecosystem. It's, it's maturity level. Like, if you see bears, bears are a great indication of a mature ecosystem. Generally, predator, you know, top predators, mountain lions, crocodiles, sharks, you know, these are indicators. Eagles, you know, these are indicators of, of health. And the more we strip away our ability to grow in abundance and, you know, to grow diverse gardens. We're stripping away what makes life on earth so, so beautiful. Don't get me wrong, you know, these lawns are pleasant, but they're, they're a little bit boring. You know, keep a patch of grass to, to toss a frisbee around in or, you know, play a game of cornhole or, you know, practice your chipping or, you know, whatever. But why don't we plant the rest? There's so many cool plants. I've only just begun to learn them. And guess what, guys? You can look this shit up online. Anytime you want, you can... You can figure out what you need to know. So with that, this has been episode 13 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. Thanks a lot, y'all. Come back again.